listening to episode 294 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. But tonight, we've got a special guest as we discuss the second episode of Hemlock Grove's first season. We're joined by someone you guys have all heard each week via his feedback. I am, of course, talking about Fred Petrie, a.k.a. Fred from the Netherlands, who's going to be providing his weekly feedback live this time so he can keep his streak intact fred welcome to sci-fi tv rewatch thank you guys very much for this opportunity and your very nice idea to have this uh, for the uh, patreon people yeah so you know what fred's referring to we we mentioned the last few weeks that uh if you are a patron just let us know what show what episode that you'd like us to cover doesn't have to be the pilot uh, just has to be genre sci-fi tv uh sci-fi supernatural fantasy or horror and speaking of supernatural dude wayne i know you heard the news i didn't actually is this oh, it season 15 is it really i haven't been yeah you know, like because uh, you know with the new tv setup i have i actually um haven't been able to watch i don't get cw so i haven't been able to really watch supernatural so i was kind of figured i'd wait till uh Wait till you know when they put it up on Netflix over the summer to watch it. Wow, the run has finally come to an end, huh? Yeah, fifteen fifteen seasons, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, Fred, we were talking about uh, you know with three hosts talking over each other, and you know, Wayne and I haven't done too much of three hosts in the studio. Uh, Wayne, you know, you know, of course, we you and I recorded with Michael those three episodes of the Childhood's End miniseries on the uh, Arthur C. Clarke novel. And then, of course, we did a few sessions with Danielle during our Lost Girl phase where we were all live together in the studio, which were a lot of fun. I don't know why we never followed up on that. Yeah, I don't know. She's got, like, kids and stuff now, so, you know, I guess she doesn't have time for us anymore, Dave. I guess, I (laughs) guess. Uh, Now, before Fred explains to us why he decided to choose hemlock grove for us to cover i I did want to bring up you know wayne and i look sci-fi tv rewatch is non-political we don't get into political discussions but as a lot of americans i've been watching uh, cnn this week waiting for the Mueller report to be released and i'm i'm watching it like wednesday and thursday and the talking heads are, are are explaining that, well, Mueller was wearing a tan suit this week when he went into <laughs> office, so I think that means this, and and he had tuna salad for lunch, so I, I think we can expect this out of the report. And I'm thinking, like, you know, that's exactly what you and I did with the dark photos yeah. and the one-page <laughs> script, except I think we did a much better job than CNN. Right, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Probably more relevant to uh, everyday life as well. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, if you are a patron, like Fred, let us know uh, what you want us to cover. So, Fred, why Hemlock Grove? I just want to react to what you just said. I only understood the word tuna fish and the rest was, well, (laughs) seems to be American politics. Um, Yeah, I will explain why I chose this episode and this series. So actually, I have two answers. One is uh, how did I come to this series myself and uh, why did I choose uh, this episode? Well, um, it's a strange way how I came to this series because 
Um, as you know, and I also said it on the podcast, I'm a big Orphan Black fan originally. That's where everything started for me. Because before, let's say, 2012, 13, 14, I didn't watch a lot of television. was just too busy with my work. And then my wife gave me a, a DVD box of Orphan Black, and that started everything. And that resulted actually in me also visiting Canada just for purpose of visiting Orphan Black filming sites. And one of the very nice opportunities I got is to visit the Valley Hala estate. And that's a, it's a very nice house using for uh, a lot of uh, filming uh, companies uh, in Scarborough, Ontario, in Canada. And I was looking what other series were actually filmed there. And then I encountered Hamlet Grove. And then the second reason was when I looked at Hamlet Grove, I saw the name of Femke Janssen. And of course, Femke Janssen is a Dutch actor. She's even born in the Netherlands still, like Michael Huisman, uh, who we just saw in The uh, Hunting of Hill House. Uh, Rebecca Romaine, I think, is born in the U.S. We know from the librarians, X-Men, and now she's number one in uh, Star Trek Discovery. I think she's born in the in the U.S. Um, so that's actually uh, one of the questions I have. If you list all these actors, so Femke Janssen was a reason for me also to watch this series. If you if you look at uh, Femke Janssen, Michael Huisman, and and Rebecca Romaine, what do you think of their English and their accents, because as a Dutch person, I cannot discriminate that, actually. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Well, so here's the thing. Like, so in the X-Men movies, uh, her accent's pretty good. It's a solid uh, American accent. Um, you know, in this one, it's like she's kind of stuck between American and the British accent. I don't know if it works out really. That's that's kind of the thing that's always bothered me. And I, you know, I didn't even know that that uh, Famke. I almost said Famke Jansen, like the American. So I'll say it the right way then, uh, Fred. So Famke Jansen. Um, I realized she was uh, a Netherlander. So um, yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, just in this particular show, it's. Her, I always I always thought watching Hemlock Grove, her her accent seemed a little, little off. But th then actually, if you I'm not going to do spoilers, but if you consider the full scope of her character, it, it actually makes sense if you watch the whole series. Yeah, because I think the Godfrey family is quite upper class. And I don't know if the, the upper class in the U.S. Is, sounds a little more English than the regular U.S. people. Well, probably not too much. I, I, they probably speak with less of an accent, but I guess depending on what part of the country you're from, certainly New Englanders... Uh, uh, speak with a, a bit yeah. of an accent, but uh, now, now, yeah. Well, that's it because in Britain you can tell, you can often tell a person's social class by the way they talk. In America, you can't really, um, but you can definitely tell region by the way a person talks. Right. Now, Hemlock Grove, for those of you that don't know, ran for three seasons, thirty-three episodes between 2013 and 2015 on Netflix, 13 episodes the first season and 10 each. Uh, Wayne, you've seen the whole series, correct? Yep. And Fred, what about you? Yeah, I'm actually halfway season one, and that's one of my uh, other things on my list. So why this episode? Um, first, I have some other remarks. I think it's quite funny that the creepy main female character is called Olivia uh, in this series, where we just did The Hunting of Hill House. 
and mm-hmm. also the house is a little bit the same. And if we go to the Ouroboros that that gets in this series as well, uh, we see that in dark. So all connected. Everything is connected. Everything well, is connected. Well, there's well, the Ouroboros is also in um, the Almighty Johnsons, which I, I just watched a couple months back too. So, yeah, there's a lot of connections here. <laughs> Okay, so why did I choose for episode two? Well, one reason is, of course, that you already did episode one as uh, Sci-Fi TV Rewatch uh, podcast number 155. Um, although that was only 30 minutes real discussion about uh, about uh, Hemlock Grove because 14 minutes was about other stuff, as you always do. And you know I like that a lot because I get a lot of tips for other series. Uh, and four minutes were about uh, the always be- coming back uh, theme of uh, once at once release, uh, and uh, Hamlet Grove also was uh, at, at released at once. Um, so one of the reasons is, of course, I hope that you will do the rest of the series. And to give an answer to your question, I'm only halfway season one. And that's because I stopped in the hope that you would ever do uh, this uh, this series as a podcast. And I know I already made the remark about that last week and you more or less gave already your answer uh, in in the last week's podcast. Um, one other reason why I took this episode is that the library bar, um, that's the bar where Norman and uh, Olivia hook up, um, is uh, in real life, uh, or the bar is in real life, the library bar in the um, Fairmont Royal York in Toronto. And I visit that bar uh, just for having tea with some uh, some cake. Uh, on the 30th of August of 2017. And I actually did that because of my Orphan Black trip, uh, visiting all kinds of Orphan Black sites. And then later when I came home, I suddenly discovered that there was a scene uh, also filmed for Killjoys in this same bar. And then later on, when I started watching Hemlock Grove, I suddenly came across this um, scene uh, I thought I thought, oh, I sat there, and I even posted a, a photo on the on the Facebook page now, where you can see me sitting there drinking tea. Um, and then the last reason why I took this episode is because the end of the second episode is so impressive. Um, I also listened to your podcast, the 155, uh, about uh, episode one, and Wayne was saying how awful this transformation of the wolf was, uh, of what Peter was, into the wolf, and that he really, yeah, climbed out of Peter's skin, and you saw his face transform. But I thought this is done so, so good. So I hope that these kinds of stuff... um, will will be the standard for this series and we will see more of that and if you for instance compare that to today's dyson in lost girl well you did the whole uh, lost girl podcast yeah often when dyson transfers to his wolf him uh, it's out of um it's not in the picture it's not in the you don't see it when he transforms, and I think that's that is very very nicely done uh, in this episode. By the way, Chris Holden Reed, who plays Dyson, is uh, actually my uh, favorite Canadian male actor. Okay. So that are the reasons. All right, sounds good. Yeah, he's actually in Vikings, which is uh, 
uh, tangentially a genre show. But uh, all right. Well, before we get into this episode, I I guess we should probably do a a quick rundown of episode one where the the central storyline starts off. Who killed Brooke Bluebell? And who killed Brooke Bluebell quickly morphs into what killed her. And that seems to be the the general theme that runs throughout the first episode. But obviously with a pilot, we're, we're meeting the different families. The Rumansics move into that trailer down by, I don't know, is it some kind of river or something? But it's not the nice part of town. And uh, of course, when, when Peter Romancic first meets that teenage daughter of the next door neighbor, asks him if he's a werewolf because his index and middle fingers are the same length. And of course, he does turn out to be a werewolf. But but part of it, 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 and this is one of the things that I really love about episode two, is that developing relationship between uh, Peter and Roman. And, you know, Roman's got a secret that he may or may not know at, at this point in, in episode one. You know, Fred, you mentioned the Godfreys, and, and obviously one of the things that, that we learn in this first episode is, is the fact that this is a family that, uh, to say they have their issues, <laughs> is an understatement. Um, <laughs> any thoughts about the Godfreys from the first episode? Of course, Olivia is a is a kind of matriarch there, and... Um, um yeah she is she is very weird and what what is very strange is this um this company they have this science company they have uh with the doctor how is he called dr price he is as creepy as well so how this intertwines is is very strange and then of course we have sally um we have the killing of gr so yeah, you're you're completely right. There are a lot of issues, and uh, one of the issues is also the relationship between Roman and his mother. Also, a little feeling a little strange. Yeah, and you know we get that scene in the first episode where Jr. is going to, or or we think he's going to kill this abomination of a baby daughter. Um, but uh, of course that's not how things turn out, but like most pilots, it's really introducing us to the families, which, which, as we said, revolve around, uh, Roman's family and, and Peter's family and kind of leads us into episode two, which doesn't really, unless I missed it, doesn't really focus too much on who or what killed Brooke. I mean, did I miss it? Well, you know, I think it, it starts off kind of like that because it literally picks up from the moment the, the previous one ended and um, where, you know, um, Roman catches Peter by the that little dollhouse where, you know, where the girl was, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they, they are on this playground uh, and it's exactly indeed the same scene as the last scene of uh, episode one. And um, they more or less ask each other i thought you did it no i thought you did it well well i think what what really comes out of this scene and, and you know they've got the the police tape and and, and the police uh, officer comes up and and you know hassles them anyway but it, it's neither of them really knows whether he did it and in, in other words roman 
says, I thought you did it, but you know, at his core, he wonders whether he did it and he just doesn't know he did it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, you see Peter going to this uh, playhouse and investigate uh, the, the ground there and uh, seeing some hairs or things like that. So he's really um, looking for traces uh, who, who could do this, uh, he himself or somebody else, whatever. But he is looking for traces. And why Roman is there, I don't know. But he is obviously also looking for, for yeah, um, although he, they both didn't know this girl that well. Right. I, I mean, I think they're both just looking for validation that they didn't do it themselves so that they can then, you know, ha- have some peace of mind. And while uh, Peter, I, I think at this point, understands he's a werewolf, does Roman really understand what he is because for me just having seen the first two episodes i mean i mean i get the sense uh, uh, that he is an upir i'm not even sure if i'm pronouncing that correctly u-p-i-r what what you see in this episode is that um peter is talking in this mirror to his deceased grandfather uh, Nikolai, and they are talking about Upiers. And one of the things that Nikolai says that these Upiers have very dark eyes. And then I suddenly realized that, uh, and you can have a look back to that scene that when Femke Janssen, uh, so Olivia, is sitting in this in this bar and meeting Norman, I thought, what are your, what is happening with your eyes? Why are they so dark? So. It could be that Olivia is a Upir and Roman is as well, but he doesn't know yet. Right, and, and I, yeah, wonder... well, I think Roman is kind of, you know, coming to, uh, you know, like whereas Peter knows what he is, um, you know, I think Roman is like, you know, kind of like a normal teenager trying to come to terms with what he is and trying to de- figure out what he is and everything. So, I... well, normal. Well, I mean, he's not a normal teenager, but, you know, like going through at a supernatural level what every teenager ever has had to do, you know. Um, and uh, and so I think that's kind of one of the things that starts this little budding bromance between the two is there, um, you know, obviously, you know, Roman is the, the, the rich kid and, and Peter is the outcast, but they both, uh, you know, have, they might not want to admit, but they both have a lot in common, you know. Right. Well, one of the first things I referred to him as mind control guy, as I was like still trying to get a handle. Exactly. And it was a Jedi mind trick, dude. Well, right. But it sort of freaks out Peter when he does it to the policeman. And then, of course, he bleeds a little bit from the nose, which is, a, I think, a sci-fi genre trope that we've seen, <laughs> you know, time and stranger things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Strange. Use your power, bleed from the nose. But. But Fred, I wonder, you know, because you mentioned that scene that that Peter remembers from when he was a child, uh, his grandfather telling him about you, Piers. Is that what sets him to decide to show Roman his wolf, do you think? Yeah, yeah. That's now. Well, that's one of the things, because I found it far too much. I think in this romantic family, uh, being a werewolf should be a big secret. And he just got Roman, he just started to know Roman and already he is prepared to show this to him. And uh, Lydia, uh, Linda, his mother, uh, is actually 
understanding and why he does it. She says, you never had a friend. So because of his problem being a werewolf, he he was a little strange. He didn't want to connect to people. Um, So now he has this Roman who has an interest in him. But I think in Roman, it's quite different. I think Roman is just this rich guy that is looking for trills and being provocative. So, for instance, when uh, they are both uh, more into the episode on the playground of school, uh, Peter says to Roman, why do I get the feeling that half the reason you talk to me is how people look to you when you talk to me? So, perhaps this, this Peter is some kind of getting him, getting Roman attention from the world around him. Well, and you would think driving that car he drives is is enough to get attention. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but that's, I guess, what I love so much about this episode is this developing friendship, because when he says that to Roman, Roman doesn't dispute it. And I think we certainly get the sense that it is more than that. I mean, he asks Peter if he can watch. And at first we're like, okay, watch what? And then, you know, when he does go to Peter's trailer and, you know, you mentioned his mother being perfectly okay. When, when Peter finally starts changing and Fred, I'm with you. I thought that was pretty cool. It was gross. The eyeballs popping out. I thought was very cool. Yeah, I, I didn't say it wasn't cool. I'm just saying it's like it's it's like effective. I guess is the word. Okay. You know, yeah. and and the you know, I mean, that's the most realistic wolf transformation I've ever seen. You know, like uh, like if, if you're going to make a person changing into a wolf and make it seem like it could actually happen, they totally did that. Like you, you, my, um, you know, sense of disbelief went straight out the window. You know, you feel like you're actually watching a person transform into a wolf. It was incredible. It's still gross. We were just talking about, and we probably will leave that uh, that scene on the playground now. But I have still one remark because I listened to the uh, the podcast about episode uh, one, and uh, it was very funny, Wayne, that you were saying. What what the hell does a soccer goal doing on a playground? Yes. Um, and well, here in the Netherlands, you have a lot of well, Netherlands is a small country, so our playgrounds are also very small. So sometimes you have on a playground just one goal, so uh, boys or even girls can practice uh, their uh, shooting uh, of the balls just in one soccer goal, whereas it's not a real. Uh, a, a real soccer field and on that same playground there is then one soccer goal and also little houses for the little children so an o- a, a complete collection of all kinds of different uh, playthings for children so I, I was a little bit amazed that you said what the hell does the soccer goal there on well, the playground I, I think is in the states uh normally you'd have a basketball court on a, a playground uh but like probably a uh, more affluent uh, neighborhood such as this might have a soccer goal, but yeah, if, if you're most of the time at playgrounds, if you have something set up, it's either going to be um, a basketball court, maybe a, a baseball field. You know. Okay. Well, a, a couple of things I just wanted to bring up though about that scene before we leave it is that as Peter is changing, 
and we watch his mother's reaction, there, there's an unmistakable pride that she exhibits, almost as if she enjoys watching Roman's reaction wow. to Peter literally ripping his flesh off. And I wonder, is it because, as she said before, he never really had a friend, and while Roman is the upper class, and, and, and they certainly are at the other end of the spectrum, it, does it have something to do with that? Almost like you're on equal footing because your powers are similar. Yeah. Why, why are you reading my notes? <laughs> um, but the other thing at the well, end actually Dave if I, if I can comment yeah, on that real ahead. quick because there's undoubtedly she's looking at Peter with pride and I I see it almost like not so much I don't even think she's really thinking about Roman much at all I think just she this ability of her sons is something that she's very proud of and um, you know how he obviously it looks extremely painful when he starts to change. Um, so, you know, I guess just kind of like any parent watching your kid, you know, do something, do something well, I guess, you know? So, um, but, but yeah. And what does he become? A werewolf or a wolf? Yeah. It looks yeah. just like a normal wolf. Just a wolf. Yeah. And yeah. then he eats the discarded human flesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. That was yeah. good. Normally, if you see werewolves, you have some, yeah, idea that that it is a werewolf, or is the definition of werewolf just a human that can change into a wolf, period? Because it really looked like a very normal and very beautiful wolf. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess that's the beauty of genre. You know, you can make it your own. Uh, there's a show that just dropped on Netflix called The Order, and werewolves are part of that story narrative and they've got a little bit of a different take on the werewolf so yeah you know as you said it was a beautiful wolf i mean dyson was more of a normal wolf once he changed so now the other storyline that doesn't get a whole lot of play here is letha's pregnancy and for for me where it's been well over a year since I saw episode one and you know I, I did go back and, and re-watch but she's pregnant but claims she's a virgin who was visited by an angel well we have angels enough at this moment in Winona Earp and even in Star Trek Discovery we have angels we have angels everywhere <laughs> well on the one hand you uh, look uh, Everything else that we're buying into in Hemlock Grove, uh, why not angels? But why sure. does Roman? Well, the, look, go ahead. Uh, just go ahead. Ask your question. I just wanted to comment on the whole Roman Letha relationship, but ask your question first, maybe. Oh, I was just going to say, why does Roman care so much that his cousin is pregnant? I mean, obviously they have a close relationship, but I really yeah, have, well, to, I really have the feeling they are buddies. And you could you could think there is something romantic between those two, but also if you see how they go in, the, I think that is the first episode where they go to this uh, amusement park that Olivia just rented for the two of them. Um, it, it's a little peculiar, but I I really have the feeling they're just buddies. Yeah, I think it's it's more, and I'm not bringing in stuff from later on. Just from this episode, it seems that it's more than that. Um, when she tells him that he's pregnant, he calls her a whore. You know, he has this really violent reaction that 
would seem more appropriate from a boyfriend who felt like he was being cheated on rather than from a cousin, you know, or a friend. Um, you know, he, he gets, and when she, but the thing is when she tells him that it was an angel, I mean, obviously everyone else thinks she's either a lying or B crazy, um, or C, um, what the Norman thinks she's trying to, um, you know, to suppress a traumatic event, uh, Roman's like, he, he believes her, you know, just. I think the same. Yeah. Well, they go to the dance together and while they're not going to the dance together to hook up or anything like that, you know, they do have a close relationship, but it, it just strikes me as a little odd that n- neither is, an outcast really i mean she's attractive he's attractive they've got money it seems hard to believe he doesn't have a girlfriend she doesn't have a boyfriend but uh you know so so we're just kind of left with that that they don't really explore that storyline a whole lot but it it certainly is an intriguing and compelling storyline that i assume will get explored in subsequent episodes and and both both of you probably know that by now so you, you don't have to tell me have you any ideas why she is visited by an angel? If if that's true, if that is something supernatural, why why it is? Well, I wonder. I mean, I, I guess my first reaction would be guilt of some sort, but I don't really know. Well, I had a little bit of uh, an idea because if you look, who are the peers in in the Godfrey family? Okay, so Lita is a Godfrey. But the the real uh, people in the Godfrey family who are possibly Upiers are Roman and his mother. So not Gr and not Norman. Um, so what I think is that it could be that if it's really an angel, it's a, it's a, a kind of counteraction against the evil. The evil of Olivia and Roman is uh, getting a counterforce by something. Yeah, good, angelly, etc. It's just an idea. Yeah, but there are good vampires out there. I saw Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it, right? It's, well, yeah, classic example, right? And, uh, and speaking of Twilight, uh, Wayne, it's been quite oh, a while since I brought Kristen Stewart into the discussion, so I'm going to have to maybe revisit that. Off the start. Well, doing why? That. Why would you? What? What, what has she done? <laughs> oh, dude, don't. Don't get me started. Dave, you were talking about <laughs> that Norman was saying uh, to Olive, uh, um, about uh, Lita's condition that she could be a psychogenic uh, amnesia. And uh, one of the things I also was thinking of is that when Norman is telling this to Olivia, or actually Olivia is asking him in that bar, so what is your... Prof- yeah, he, he comes in the bar and he's devastated that his daughter is pregnant. And then at a certain point she asks him, um, what is your professional opinion? And then he comes up with this psychogenic uh, amnesia. And then I have a, a moment of really... Um, and that is that he hops into bed with her after this whole discussion about his daughter being pregnant. Uh, it's so strange as an action after this heavy discussion about and being devastated about your daughter being pregnant um, and then hop in with uh, with Olivia. 
Well, right. And I, again, I don't know if this is something about Olivia that is going to continue throughout the season, but this you know, sex drive that she has, I mean, you, you mentioned hopping into bed with Norman, but then she takes the bartender out to her car for sex and he mistakenly thinks norman is her ex and then of course at that point he said the wrong thing and she tells him to hit the road and poor guy sorry we see see there that she can cry yes so she's not as tough as as she looks like yeah yeah that's that's a great point and that's really um you know the, the times we see her vulnerable uh, in this series are, are few and far between. And, and I think that's probably the only moment in the first two episodes we see her as a, but of course she's not going to let anyone else see that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like she definitely seems to have some kind of like, almost like a power over Norman. Uh, at the minute they're done, he's angry and, you know, and snarky with her and you know he leaves right away and he's like mad at her. Um, so it, you know, it seems like he is not necessarily 100% willing participant in this affair here. Yeah. I, I thought, uh, he said something, this, this should not happen. It should be over between us. This should be the last time. And when he says that again, after they did it, um, she is also a kind of disappointed and sad. And I had the idea that is that is the reason why she takes this young guy just to compensate what Norman just told her. Actually, Norman was able to hurt her emotionally. I had the idea. Right. And just by going out with the bartender to her car, you give her some validation that, that yeah. she is attractive. She is desirable, but, but, you know, e- even when the two of them, uh, Olivia Norman give us the impression, this is the last time we know darn well, it's not the last time. At least I'd right. be surprised if it is. Well, it's probably not the, the first time he said that, you know? Right. Yeah. If we, if we're talking about sex, um, yeah, I'm Dutch. I'm Dutch. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, no, when we're talking about sex, there was another scene in the episode where um, uh, Roman is following yeah, yeah. a girl who goes to the toilet uh, out of his classroom, and they they have sex in the girl's restroom there. And what was actually for me the funniest. Uh, part of the whole episode was that then Peter is walking by and he hears that and then Lita is also walking by and then Peter is uh, saying to uh, Lita uh, it is exactly what it looks like (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah well there's to 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 build on that though is the girl he sees her bag and she has a, a tampon singing out so she's menstruating and you know he wasn't. Uh, how should I don't know how to put. There was oral sex that apparently was that is obviously being performed. So, you know, there's some more evidence that a Roman's nasty and b that he is some kind of you know blood eater thing. Okay, but I I have a different take on it, Wayne, and this is this could perhaps help Fred with his his teaching. See. I thought she deliberately had it sticking out of her purse so that the teach, the male teacher could not refuse to let her leave to go to the bathroom. That yeah. that, re, that reminds me of one of your remarks in the uh, see, of, in the episode one podcast. 
because you were both a little bit uh, uh, agitated about uh, how in all kinds of series they portray normal high school life. Uh, and, and you were really asking for whenever does a normal se- a series show a normal high school life now? Well, I know by now you have a lot of experience with that. So um, I want to ask you, what do you think of this? Uh, so in Hemlock Grove, what's happening there? Um, and the same is actually true for uh, Dave. I know you saw Sex Education. So, so how is normal high school life there? And the other one that was once your tip of the week, atypical, because it's also playing on a high school with this autistic guy. Right. So what, what do you think of all these three as normal American high school life? Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked in the bathroom to find some kid performing oral sex with another kid. I mean, that happens daily. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that it, that is obviously so far beyond. I mean, I guess everyone has some friend who claims to have, you know, taken his girlfriend. And, and, I, and, of course, I know stories of teachers that have come upon kids once in a while in places they're not supposed to be. But, but that, you know, overall, that seems a very um, outlandish plot element, but funny. You know, nothing to do about the realism of it, but what was the point of the homecoming dance? And and the three, mm-hmm. I guess they're probably supposed to be freshman girls that go together. I don't know. I, it, did I miss something again with that? Well, I think it was more about Christina, so the our writing girl, than about uh, Norman and uh, Lita. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I liked it. Um I think one of their fathers, before he lets them go, uh, an isolated incident is only isolated until it's not. <laughs> like, right. uh, and her father. Well, that's in, that's a guy from Battlestar Galactica. Exactly, Chief yeah. Tyrrell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the other uh, obviously great line from that sequence is that boy Tyler. That you know she. You know, wants to. I, I don't want to say she wants to hook up with him because they're both pretty young at that point. But you know, they just want to engage in some flirtation, and he starts dropping lines from Dirty Dancing, and she's like clueless. I thought it was a law <laughs> that all girls had seen Dirty Dancing, and, and Tyler, I thought so too. So, I don't. That's maybe not so much in the 21st century, though. I don't think. Okay, I, I guess. don't know. <laughs> all right. Now the the fourth storyline that again it doesn't get a whole lot of play but we know it's important it's this dude that's running through the woods like he's being chased and of course we hear little mentions about the godfrey institute and we certainly get more of that in the pilot episode but what's the deal with this guy well the first thing i thought is he mad or did he became mad Okay, I mean, from, from what? Well, it's just this, is this just uh, not uh, somebody with a mental retardation or some emotional disturbance and that has some, um, uh, some experience with the supernatural or because he is mentally unstable, he has some experiences with the supernatural or 
is it was it a normal guy that experienced a lot of supernatural things because he was also saying something like uh to roman today i have seen the dragon and then a little later he says it was you right towards towards roman so I, the first thing i i wondered is he did he and that is in my question was he mad and sensible for supernatural things or did he became like this because he experienced a lot of it okay because when roman and lita drive home from the dance they encounter this guy and uh, he's lying in the road and and as you said he seems to recognize roman and and the whole idea of ouroboros comes up so yeah i i mean for for me not having seen anything past this episode i'm thinking it has something to do with something that's going on at the Godfrey Institute, which from my perspective is still a pretty sketchy place. And I don't know exactly what they're working on there, but well, well, the commercial sells building and healthier tomorrow today. (laughs) Right. Oh, now again, there there is that one scene where, the, the guy, um, you know, in the background, well, he's looking towards the Godfrey Institute. So, I mean, yeah, it does seem like that that is integral to whatever's going on with this guy. And plus, you just got to have some creepy, shadowy um, corporate corporation that is, you know, doing dodgy things, right? That's like standard for any genre of television show. It's funny that you actually mention exactly this scene where this guy is running through the woods and you see the the Goffrey uh, building there. Uh, Sorry, guys, I really had a phallus-like feeling about that. Why is that building in this small town so, so high? By the way, he also mentions this mad guy that he he saw the cheerleading cheerleader getting killed. So that is probably also something that uh, twisted his mind. Well, anything else that uh, we want to bring up about this episode? I mean, those are the kind of the four main story arcs that that were presented here. There's probably something I'm forgetting that's important. Well, I have one more. Okay. Uh, um, And that is that there is a very brief contact, I think, on a parking lot between Olivia and Linda. So Roman's mother and uh, uh, Peter's mother. And we see when, actually, that is an episode one, that when uh, Linda, when they arrive at this trailer, Peter and Linda arrive at this trailer, and this trailer originally belonged um, to, I think, Linda's brother. And the first thing Linda does when she comes into the trailer is search for something, and then she finds these files. Um, And these files contain a fluid we see later, or I don't know if it's episode one or two, we see uh, Olivia put in her eyes, and it looks like a bit like a drug. So there could be a kind of dependence between Olivia and, and, and Linda, so that Olivia is the rich, uh, the rich bitch, but she is somehow dependent for their delivery of some kind of drug uh, uh, from these gypsies. Oh, right, right, because we saw, I think, in, in episode one, like, like Peter's mother, her her name's Linda, right. And like you said, she was going through the different vials that, that were there. So, um, 
And she was right. very she was very happy that she could find them. So she came into this trailer, and one of the first things she did is look for those things, and she was very much relieved she found them. And I, I don't have the impression for her own use, and NBC um, Olivia used something like it. So how that will play out and the relationship between those two women, uh, I'm very very much looking forward to that. Well, I have to tell you, yeah. I definitely enjoyed this episode. Um, as uh, Fred, as I know you know, and I, I know Wayne knows because we talk about it all the time, there's just so much that we're trying to keep up with to take on another show right now. But, uh, you know, again, I think for me, the most intriguing thing is the the friendship that's developing between Roman and Peter. I really would like to see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this one. So Yeah, this that's going to be, uh, you know, I mean, to me, the, the central, you know, kind of the, the, the central thing to this show that made it great was, this relationship between uh, Peter and Roman, and you know, as you can well imagine that there would be ups and downs with it. But uh, but yeah, there was especially the actors are are, are great, uh, both of them, and uh, you know they really played that well. Right. And we still don't know who killed Brooke at this point, so I yeah. assume that's or, or what killed her. I guess by extension, who? So so one question, Dave. Are okay. You- are you going to look? Are, are, sorry, are you going to watch episode three? Although you're not going to podcast about it, um, I, I probably will at some point. I'm good. I'm, ca- good. I'm caught up. Good. <laughs> well, episode three <laughs> seems to be the episode in so many shows where things take a turn. Hopefully for the better. Uh, I get that impression from the way you just said that, Fred. So, having said that, Fred, yes, I'll commit to watching episode three. Okay, for sure. Now, yeah. you mentioned it's great, but the OA just dropped too. So, season two, oh, the OA just dropped. Right, so, and, <laughs> and Michael and I are going to be covering that for uh, a subsequent Sci-Fi Fidelity, and that's actually my show, uh, the OA. So, I got to get on that. Yeah. But, Fred, you mentioned a couple of times orphan black and and, you know obviously we know you're a huge fan as are we did you hear about the reboot that they're talking about yeah a little bit a little bit did did i misunderstand that they're talking about bringing orphan black back without tatiana mislan yeah exactly they're they're something doing with another kind of crew and i think um i don't know even know i don't even know if they are having uh, some other actors from Orphan Black in it. Um, so I, I saw something on, uh, I think, uh, Twitter. Uh, I follow some sites there, but uh, it's not, not clear to me either. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Look, as long as Allison's in it, I don't care about Tatiana and Bislani. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For me, it's Cos- for me, it's Cosima. Uh she's a great character too. That's, well actually they're they're all great in their own way but uh, they they are all great all 16 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh all right anything else uh wayne you want to bring up that we um yeah i mean so just really quickly there's a lot of like psychology going on and the girl in the dance who i, I guess maybe was the girl that he went to the bathroom with i'm not sure but she asked if he wants to dance he's like basically no and she calls him a sociopath which she defines as a psycho who doesn't have the balls to go all the way which <laughs> i don't think the dsm qualifies it in exactly like that but um 
you know, but but there is this idea, certainly, of mental instability that we're seeing kind of, you know, throughout the show already. Yeah, it was another girl because the girl that said it was an Asian girl and the girl that he followed wasn't. Right, right, right. Okay, well, this has been a lot of fun, guys. I I can't tell you. uh... Thank you for this treat, uh, guys. Yeah, anytime. Fred is great. Yeah, and and Fred, thank you for being accommodating. Fred is five hours ahead of us, so... Well, only five. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll be six soon. Yes, we'll be six soon, but... if you guys would like to contact us with some kind of episode feedback, questions, you can do so via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. You can go to the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip the way Fred does each week and send us the MP3 as an attachment. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch. As I always say, nobody does that. But we'd encourage you to join the Facebook group because there are generally some pretty good discussions going on there. So we will leave this episode there, and we want to thank you guys for joining us. We'd love to hear what you think about The Haunting of Hill House, Travelers, Hemlock Grove, anything else going on in genre TV. Encourage you, as I said, join the Facebook group. If you're already a member, you can spread the word. But we will be back next week to begin our discussion of The Magicians Season 1. Until then. Ah, darn, I forgot to bring a Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs>